Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Viral a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. Today in the podcast, we get reaction from London on Boris Johnson's health, and we look at the extraordinary way COVID-19 is changing funerals around Ireland. We're going to interrupt things here for a second because we've received breaking news from the UK. Boris Johnson has been moved into ICU as the British PM's battle with coronavirus takes a turn for the worse. We're very saddened to hear that he was taken into intensive care this afternoon. Americans are all praying for his recovery. He's been a really good friend. He's been really something very special, strong, resolute, doesn't quit, doesn't give up. There is a common conception in Ireland and abroad that we do death well. The Irish wake is world famous and funerals hold a deep cultural significance in many parts of the country. This day last week, the government set guidelines for how funeral services should take place while still adhering to social distancing restrictions during the COVID-19 crisis. These new restrictions were difficult if not painful to envision and require no more than 10 people in attendance and attendees are to abide by social distancing measures. On the podcast today, we speak to Professor Salvador Ryan, who is one of Ireland's foremost experts in the traditions surrounding death and loss and why they stake so much cultural importance here in Ireland. We also speak to Orla Keegan, who is Head of Education and Bereavement Services at the Irish Hospice Foundation about the process of grief and why the pandemic might complicate bereavement for thousands of people around the country. Before we speak to them though, as mentioned on the top of the podcast, news circulated around the globe last night that Boris Johnson had been admitted to ICU, so I caught up with The Sun's digital political editor, Natasha Clark, who had been covering it for them. As of tonight, Boris Johnson has been admitted into intensive care. He is at St Thomas's Hospital, which is in South London. It's just south of the river. You can see the Houses of Parliament from it. It's understood that the Prime Minister has been struggling to breathe, which is why they decided to move him into the intensive care unit. Earlier today, Number 10 told us that his condition uh, was pretty all right, actually. They said that he was in pretty good spirits and had a quite a comfortable night in hospital. However, this afternoon, we have basically seen a bit of a rapid deterioration of his condition, which prompted this move. It's understood that he started to struggle to breathe and then needed oxygen, which has prompted this move into the intensive care unit this evening. Is there any current fears that the UK government might be underplaying maybe the severity of Johnson's condition? I think there's been accusations that his symptoms might have been worse earlier on in the week since he's been reported testing positive 11 days ago. Yes, Boris tested positive uh, uh, 11 days ago, exactly right. Um, and up until that point, he has been staying in number 11 Downing Street. Um, everybody else has 
obviously cleared off because he's been self-isolating. But he has been continuing to try and work. He's been holding these daily COVID-19 briefings with other members of the COVID committee. He's also been holding the cabinet meetings as well via video link. And he has been continuing to work. I'd say that he's been working very hard. But they've also said that he hasn't really been getting much better. Um, At the beginning of last week, uh, when actually when the PM was diagnosed with coronavirus, they were saying that he had just mild symptoms. They were not specific about exactly what that was. Um, It did emerge later that the Prime Minister had a temperature uh, and a cough. Um, However, the past couple of days... um, that sort of language of having mild symptoms is now turned into persistent symptoms. So obviously the PM has gone downhill a little bit. However, number 10 has been trying to tell us that he's still upbeat, he's still in very good spirit. Um, and I think that probably is true. Um, I think obviously, you know, number 10 are trying to sort of do a little bit of damage limitation. They are trying to sort of, you know, calm the nation. It, it's a pretty worrying time at the moment uh, for the entire nation and they probably don't want to uh, worry anybody. But it's obvious with tonight's developments that things are much more serious than we first thought. And if Boris was to have to withdraw from politics, politics for a period of time to recuperate. Do we know what type of contingency plans then will be put in place for his deputy and who that might be? Yes, we do know who that is. Um, unlike America or some other countries, we don't have sort of a, an actual official deputy prime minister role. Um, we have had one in the past, uh, David Cameron and had Nick Clegg as his deputy. Um, but at the moment, we we don't actually have a formal role for that. However, Dominic Raab, who's the foreign secretary, is technically called something called the first secretary of state. So he will step in now um, just before Boris was uh, transferred into the intensive care unit tonight. He basically transferred sort of powers, as it were, uh, to Dominic Raab to sort of make decisions on his behalf if needed. Obviously, at the moment, the Prime Minister is conscious and he doesn't need a ventilator. Uh, so obviously, if there are any sort of really urgent decisions that, that might need the Prime Minister's uh, say-so, uh, there is still a possibility that that could happen. Um, but at the moment, we'll probably see Dominic Raab stepping up, taking a much bigger role uh, day-to-day. He will be leading the daily COVID-19 briefings. Uh, he will be leading some of the press conferences. He'll be fielding questions from journalists um, for the foreseeable future. We don't know how long Boris is going to need to remain in hospital for. Um, but it could be a matter of weeks. Do we know any details about the PM's fiancée, Carrie Simmons, who I think most people will know is also pregnant as well? She was um, reportedly feeling some conditions in relation to COVID-19 earlier on in the week. Is there any more information on her well-being? So last week, we knew that uh, after the PM tested positive for coronavirus, we found out actually a couple of days earlier that Carrie Simmons had already moved out of Downing Street. Um, It's believed uh, that she is staying in uh, a flat in South London away from the Prime Minister. Uh, She then put a picture on Instagram of herself saying, uh, with her dog, saying that she was self-isolating. So we did not know what the condition of uh, Carrie was for quite a while, but then she tweeted on Saturday that she had actually been having symptoms as well for about a week. However, she insisted that she was now on the mend. We haven't actually had too much of an update uh, on her condition, uh, but it's believed that she uh, is, is, is okay and sort of making a nice recovery. She must obviously be completely worried about her, uh, her fiancé at the moment, of course. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Grief is the reaction to losing somebody who's important in your life. And I guess everybody has an idea of what it is from the outside, but when you're experiencing it, it can be quite different. Orla Keegan is Head of Education and Bereavement Services for the Irish Hospice Foundation. It can be confusing. It's more than being sad and emotional and upset. It can affect the way you're thinking. It can affect your body, your sleep, your appetite. And certainly in the early stages of a loss, it's all consuming. When someone close to you dies, the days that follow can often be extremely busy. They involve a lot of organisation and contact with your loved ones and those who are organising the funeral proceedings. Fundamentally, much of this is going to be halted in the coming days and weeks. We know immediately after somebody dies that we go into the automatic piece of arranging a funeral, of calling the funeral director, of letting everybody know, of planning who will do the readings, uh, organising travel, and usually then also having a maybe a meal afterwards. Um, a part of the funeral might also involve a wake. You decide whether you're going to bring the person home, whether they'll be in a funeral home, and how you receive people into your house or into the funeral home. It's very much a collective. And there is a comfort in that. Um, People come in, they shake your hand, they acknowledge your loss, and they often will tell you stories about how they knew the person who had died. They'll um, really pay tribute to them, and that's very comforting for a family. So we know that's not happening now, not in a physical way. And I think it's difficult on two fronts. It's difficult, of course, for the family, but it's difficult for people to watch it as well. Um, I think anybody who's heard a radio programme or watched TV or read a newspaper, there's been an article about a family having to have a very cut-back funeral um, with maybe only a small number of people attending. We've seen the poignant pictures and our hearts go out to people they really do go out um, at a time like this and I guess what we need to be thinking is how do we act on that if our heart is going out to people and we can't go to a funeral the way we used to be able to go to it can we do something else instead there is nothing that strikes at the heart of an Irish person in terms of evoking their their pity is to see a funeral where there's 
few, if any, people present. Salvador Ryan is Professor of Ecclesiastical History at Maynooth University and the author of Death and the Irish, an exploration of the relationship Irish people have with death from the earliest times to the present day. It really, it, it strikes at the heart of our identity and our communal identity that someone would not only maybe die alone, but also have to go through the whole funeral rites with very few present. So there are people, for instance, who would turn up at funerals, even if they didn't know the person, just to be there. Even that old um, idea of boss and Aaron, that you would die in Ireland. That's not just about a love of the countryside or a love of your own native land. That's also about dying among your people, that there will be people there to give you a good send off. Traditionally, how people speak about funerals. That, that idea of the funeral was, was conducted in, in the proper way. There were a lot of people there. We celebrated his life. He got a good send-off. Or you'd even hear people say, oh, Jesus, you know, we put him down well. Which is, again, that whole idea that we did this very well. He or she got the send-off that they deserved. Traditionally, we are very much a kin society, aren't, aren't we? Like, you know, going back hundreds and hundreds of years, it's about kinship. This idea of the nuclear family, obviously, is a, is a very recent phenomenon. When we talk about kinship, we talk about the wider family. We talk about, you know, the cousins and the cousins of cousins. And so you're expecting a good number of people to be there and they expect to be there themselves and want to be there. The grieving process is something that is completely unique to the individual. But Orla has concerns and feels that the confined setting and environment preceding the funeral is something that might complicate grief for people in the months ahead. They're in their household and that could be just themselves, it could be one or two people, it could be a family unit, but very small. And in the maybe the weeks after a bereavement, to be grieving in isolation is, is difficult and again, it's not normal. In bereavement and loss, one of the ways we think about it is as constantly moving. And we go through different feelings and thoughts. But also we get pulled out of our grief by the necessary distractions of life. Like eventually about having to go back to work or having to go to school and organise school runs. So there's a lot of draws on our time as we try and and cope with real life. So the consequence of that is we can't sit in grief all the time. In normal life, we get a break, a short break from grief. And I think now with the restrictions and the isolation, there's less distraction and less opportunity to take a break from grief. And that could be a problem for people. What ways is it possible now to actually honour a person who's died without being a part of, say, the funeral service itself or being there physically? There's different things that people can do. I think as soon as you hear the news, you should text a person, depending on your relationship with them, phone them, write. RIP.ie, who are now really announcing most deaths, and they have a special condolence section. So people can put in there a tribute to the person who died. And every one of those messages will land with the person um, who is grieving. Um, And they'll have them not just in the moment, but in the days 
and the weeks to come. So it's very, very important to reach out. We also have a saying that um, in terms of supporting bereaved people, there's a there's a sort of a, a marathon aspect to it as well as a, a sprint aspect. And you might find in the first couple of days, you get lots of messages and lots of people are contacting you. But maybe uh, 10 days later, two weeks later, people are drifting away. So I guess what you could do if you know somebody who's been bereaved in these circumstances is to persevere, you know, to contact them over time. Um, but I think keeping in touch is really, I suppose, the one big piece of advice. Keep in touch. For many people, a funeral offers a level of closure to maybe a prolonged period of pain as well. I think it's easy to forget that in the midst of all this, there's going to be a lot of people that die who aren't dying from COVID-related mm. illnesses as Absolutely. well. Do you feel that this illness and the broader implications it's brought with it is going to rob people of that closure? And if so, what are the best ways to maybe try and do something after the dust settles on COVID-19? Um, I, I think yeah, it's important to say that in Ireland, up to now, 80 people die every single day. Um, so, you know, there are always funerals going on in Ireland and somebody is always meeting um, new grief. Obviously, people who have had to arrange a funeral in the last three weeks have not arranged the, the tribute that they would have wanted it to arrange. It hasn't been what they would have planned at another time. Um, now, we have suggested that there might be some things uh, a family could do um, in, in planning that funeral, um, even if it is very small and very limited, and that there are things that they can do at home in terms of linking with other people, maybe choosing a time, maybe early in the evening when everybody will light a candle um, and that extended friends and family members can join in that sort of a, a ritual. So there are small things in the interim that a family can do. The proper full, as we understand it, funeral will have to be at another time and nobody currently can give any certainty as to when that time would be. So rather than maybe putting everything on ice and saying, look, we'll have a we'll have a funeral in the autumn. So so don't put everything on ice. I think there are things that we can do in the interim that, that pay a tribute and, and help us mourn. For Salvador, the rituals and traditions that are both religious and secular hold extreme importance in how we remember the dead. And many of these will not be possible in an age of social distancing. It also blocks off, I think, for us, many of the things that we instinctively do at funerals. And that also reinforces the message to you, this person is gone, they're dead. You've seen them now, you've touched them. This is reinforced at a, a, a multi-sensorial level, if you like. One of the things that we see, even with the drop-off in, with say, formal church attendance, that really hasn't made a huge mark on attendance at funerals, uh, at funeral rituals. And I mean that in the, in the round, if you like, whether it be the night before the wake or the removal or, or the funeral mass. I mean, people continue to attend uh, funerals and funeral rituals in, in huge numbers. So this is absolutely unthinkable 
I would say for Irish people. These gestures, I mean, they're, they're, they're hugely important. Even something as simple as the whole file of people that, you know, starts down the road because there's a queue of people waiting to get into this little cottage to actually meet the family. You, you just get caught up in, and this sort of sorry for your troubles, sorry for your troubles, again, is this mantra. And the, the shaking of the hand, again, it's this reinforcement of the reality. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. You, you can't get that remotely. In many of the important speeches and addresses to the nation that have taken place in the past number of weeks, there has been a huge emphasis on the past and Ireland's resilience, historically speaking. This undoubtedly is true, but according to Salvador, culturally we are still prone to holding the scars of our ancestors from years before. One of the things that did strike me though is not uh, obviously numbers wise on the same scale, but a little bit, I think, like what happened with memory of the famine. I mean, they say, you know, the famine seeped into our collective psyche and influenced us in, in significant ways for generations afterwards. And, and part of that as well, part of why funerals and giving someone a good send off perhaps is so important is perhaps that cultural memory as well of when people had to be thrown into mass graves. You, you read some of the folklore about the famine and people who had to be basically were, were riddled with disease, for instance, and couldn't be approached. Those sort of stories that sort of seep very deeply into our collective psyche. Who knows how we're going to react to this in, in the longer term? I, I'm not going to even begin to try to make a prediction, but I think we cannot be left unscathed by it. Because if you, if you don't have a proper chance to say goodbye to someone and do that in the way in which we've become accustomed to do, and which is so comforting, I think, in so many ways. I mean, if it wasn't, we wouldn't continue to do it. The thing about our rituals around death is they work. They work. We continue to do them. If, if they'd outlived their usefulness, we would have discarded them. But they work. So it would be silly to assume, I think, that taking away something that works for us and continues to work for us wouldn't have a huge effect on us going forward. That was episode 14 of Viral COVID-19. I want to say a huge thank you to Natasha Clark from The Sun, Orla Keegan from the Irish Hospice Foundation and Professor Salvador Ryan from Maynooth University who all joined me today. You can visit the Irish Hospice Foundation for more information and resources on grieving in exceptional times. I'm Ian Doyle. I will talk to you on Wednesday. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.